Hi, I'm Lucy and I'm a compulsive overeater. I want to ask my, um, thank rather my best friend Atusa for um, asking me to speak here. Uh, it's a really great honor to speak at Overeaters Anonymous. Now, I don't feel that way at 7 a.m. What I feel like is, why do I have to put on makeup? Why am I driving to Beverly Hills? Why do I have to put on a dress? And I was talking to Jennifer about this before the meeting. My sponsor told me early on to wear a dress when you speak, and it was just something that's like very old school, like wear a dress. But what was pointed out to me is that it's actually not for you guys. It's actually for me. Like, I feel better when I'm not in workout clothes. Now, most of the time, I'm in workout clothes, some form of clog with fuzz on them, you know, my hair in a ponytail, dog hair all over me, and like, a really unattractive Patagonia style vest but um, it makes me feel better when I speak and also this is an, a program of attraction not promotion um, so you know the truth is I do whatever my sponsor tells me I am so defiant rebellious in every way of my life I mean you say left I go right my sister is like super organized she does everything by the book and she knows because she has a, unfortunately a child like me she always says it's your fault it's your fault she knows that I cannot be told what to do <laughs> I'm sorry so but I do everything my sponsor says because it works but it took me a really long time to get to that point about over 50, 50 years so half a century you know, when they say, you know, they're a hundred pounder, I'm a half a century person. That's how long it took me to surrender to this program. So um, let me just start a little bit with the statistics. Um, I have weighed at this height, which is almost 5'7", 125. I've also weighed 167, which was actually pretty recently. Um, so I go up and down about 42 pounds. Um, as far as I know, I was on a diet between the ages of about 10 and about, I don't know, make it up, 55. So I was on a diet for uh, three quarters of my life, 40, 45 years. Um, I came into the program. I first entered these rooms in 1986. I didn't like it. Um, I didn't like the way you looked. I was going to conquer the program on my own. I came back in again 20 years later in 2006. It took me two and a half years to get abstinent. My abstinence is breakfast, lunch, dinner, and an optional snack. Right now I am taking that snack a lot because I'm also newly sober in AA, so I'm like, God, you know what? I'm taking a snack. If that's what it takes to keep me abstinent and sober, right now I'm taking the snack. And I talk about it a lot because um, I was completely off sugar and I have some forms of sugar in my um, food plan right now and I need to talk to this, about this with my sponsor because I haven't been really clear with her yet that I'm eating sugar on a daily basis even though it's small amounts so I need to be super clear so I want to commit to you guys that I'll do that. Okay, so I'm going to start kind of at the beginning. Um, I came from a perfect family. They, my parents are gorgeous. Uh, I have grandparents who are very long-lived. They were very wealthy. They were extremely well-educated. Everybody had good jobs. They were farmers. They were lawyers. They were in the Navy. They, everybody did the right thing. There was also, which I, of course, did not know as a baby girl, there was a lot of what I would call compulsive food behaviors. What do I mean by that? Hiding food, obsession with food, 
uh, a lot of conversation about where we're going to lunch, where we're going to dinner. A lot of, don't you want to go to Baskin Robbins and get ice cream? Oh, sure. Um, stealing food from other people. My grandmother would steal food from us, um, which was we thought was hilarious. We'd be like, where are the cookies? She's like, oh, here, and they'd be in her bra. You know, and um, there was a lot of alcoholism. Um, so, you know, it came from a socially prominent family. And, and when I was six, um, my father decided that he did not want that lifestyle anymore and that he would move his family to Southeast Asia to do humanitarian work. So I left my grandmother, who I was named after. Did I say my name, Lucy? Yeah, okay, good. I named, uh, yeah, remember my grandmother's name, not so much my own. Um, but anyway, um, I left my home, I left my house, I left the United States, and I went to a country which was um, had very limited health care. I was extremely ill. I would have rheumatic fever. My parents, for whatever reason, felt they feel the need to take us to the doctor. So at the age of seven, I would say, I'm not going to go to school unless you take me to the doctor. Uh, they would leave us at home or in war zones like Afghanistan, Pakistan, where the Taliban is, with dysentery. Um, I was the only child who was Caucasian uh, in my class. I was one of the very few Caucasian children in my school. So it was a big shock. So I learned early on I was very different. And um, it's pretty apparent. I was white. Nobody else was. I spoke English. A lot of people speak English, but um, uh, my toilet in my bathroom was a squat toilet. It was very clean, but it was a squat toilet. Um, I didn't have a sit-down toilet. Many of my friends had um, no toilet at all. Uh, there was no pasteurized milk, so I didn't have milk till I got to Israel at the age of nine. It's the one thing I think about Israel. They have ice cream. That's my. That's what I have to say about Israel. Of all the things you could say about Israel, and the, the you know five thousand long years, mine is they had ice cream. So that um, was the same way I was when my husband would say, "How's the wedding?" I was like, "They ran out of shrimp." That was my whole. That was my whole ran, reaction to the wedding. You know, how was lunch? There was no more lobster. I mean, not you know, not how were the people? What was I eating? Um, so what I learned is that I would be safe because I was very unsafe as a child and very unsafe for many years my parents were very good people they did not for whatever reason find it necessary to keep us safe my brother says and I've had therapists tell me that it was criminal neglect they were involved with each other and they were involved with our lives as far as they're concerned the children had good schooling they had a roof they had food that was it. So, you know, I figured out how to entertain myself. I entertained myself by voraciously reading and living in fantasy and books. And I continued that behavior until very recently. That, you know, give me a pack of chips, some sour cream dip, a television, a bottle of wine or a book, and just leave me there till 4 o'clock in the morning. And I, will, I am really happy. You don't bother me. I don't interact with you. I'm interacting with fantasy. I'm a happy girl. Or I think I'm happy till I have to wake up in the morning and then I hate myself. And that's the story that's told in the big book. My self-hatred 
you know, I didn't land up in the hospital for an eating disorder. I didn't land up in rehab. I didn't crash my car. My self-hatred, only people in this room can understand. And only other addicts can understand. I felt there was something terminally wrong with me. That they had passed out a little pamphlet when we were all old enough to read. And I didn't get the pamphlet. You know, I was absent from school when they taught Roman numerals. So I don't know Roman numerals. And I felt I was absent from school when they gave you the pamphlet, How to Cope with Life. And How to Love Yourself. I couldn't love myself. So I started dieting around the age of nine. I was a very serious ballet dancer. Uh, a few of the diets I have tried are only eating fruit on certain days, which makes you high, made me high and nauseous. Um, eating grapefruit because before a meal, because grapefruit is supposed to consume the food and the acid eats the grape. I don't know. Um, uh, dieting six days a week and binging the seventh day. You know, that was one diet. The diet was suggested that you treat yourself. So this is my idea of a treat. I would go to the cafe near my house and I would work my way through the bakery case, left to right or right to left. And then somebody suggested to me, what you're supposed to do is have a piece of cake. I'm like, that's not a treat. The treat is I've got desserts lined up. Lined up. Um, I ordered a pair of these pants that you blow up to make your legs sweat. I wrapped my legs with aluminum foil. I paid a nutritionist thousands of dollars, bought his supplements, then didn't do what he did, told me to do. So he said, take off carbohydrates, which gave me acute diarrhea. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, I went to this really crazy workout coach who cost me thousands of dollars, took pictures of me half naked to prove he was going to give me bigger muscles, and then said, uh, what you really need is a good colonic. I took organic fen-fen, which made me cry. Um, okay, so you get the point. There's a number of different diets I've tried. Oh, my favorite was I went to a Turkish healer. No problem with Turkey. just happened to be Turkish. Turkish healer who told me to suck on a sugar cube and say three Hail Marys. I don't know why that worked, but that was the other one. I went to a hypnotherapist, and I was supposed to repeat, I drink green tea and eat moderately. Um, so you get the point. If I was desperate to lose weight, I was crazy to lose weight. I felt that if I lost weight, I would feel good about myself, be popular, be successful, be be loved, be loved. That's the main thing. Just be loved. Um, so you know, I continued this behavior throughout puberty, and of course, puberty gets worse because. All of a sudden, there's the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever sex it is that you like. And then there's the whole horror of being accepted in high school for me. I changed 14 different schools because my dad moved around a lot. So I was constantly trying to be accepted. The quickest way I knew to be accepted was to be thin, and I could never be thin. Finally, I got down to 125 when I was 14 when I was dancing all the time. And I looked in the mirror... And I'll never forget it. I was coming down the hallway and I looked in the mirror and I thought, I still look fat. I, I still look fat. And I kind of just gave up. And I gained 40 pounds back. And I didn't want to tell my ballet teacher. 
you guys get the point, but I would go swimming with jeans on so you wouldn't see my butt. I wore my girlfriend's dad's bathrobe so you wouldn't see my butt. Okay, so like, so like you won't notice somebody walking down the streets of Beverly Hill with a bathrobe on. You know, I mean, it's, or somebody in the pool with a pair of jeans on. You know, that's just, it was just craziness. So this went on and on and on and then I um, a friend of mine who's in this program came, she just came back and she's doing really well bless her heart um, she said you know I'm starting to see a therapist who specializes in food disorders and she's really really good you know and again you know you tell me the therapist is in you know Nevada I said okay I'll go there on Tuesdays and come back I mean I, I was willing to see anybody in this case it was only in the valley but so I go to the therapist and she said you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous and I had been in a in a 12-step program for relationships so I knew it worked so I thought I'll go when it's convenient as you guys know it's never convenient in my experience it's not convenient for me to be here okay it's not convenient to get up early and come to a meeting I've never experienced so it's convenient. I just happen to love going now, having hated coming. I'm not one of those people that came in here and went, these are my people, I'm home. No, 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 no. I was just desperate and in pain. And I don't change unless I'm desperate and in pain. I wish I did, but I don't. So, and that's what the book says, that, you know, that's what the, our, our primer is the, uh, or primer, some people say, is the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The book says that pain is the touchstone of change. That, thank you so let's get to recovery so I she said come to OA so I dabbled I came in I came out I came in I came out I would come so let's say it was a one o'clock meeting I think I'm too busy to come at one o'clock I have a job you might not have a job but I have a job so I would cut 115 I would leave at 145 uh, because clearly these people were I don't know they were on welfare and they had a lot of time so I, I would do that and what happened is I went to Paris to see my best friend they own a hotel there what I planned when I got to Paris was my first meal not my trip to the Eiffel Tower not that the trip to the Louvre Museum not that the trip to Versailles to see the palace I planned my first meal but then there's a problem then it's over so they own this little hotel so I go to the hotel and I open the mini bar and they have some cheese crackers in there and I start and at this point I've been in and out of program for two years and I start eating these cheese crackers and I wake up the next morning and I think I've broken my abstinence that was that was a binge I'd, I've had my meal that was that was a binge and this is how romantic Paris was for me I get on a floor with you know industrial carpeting like this well it's a little bit nicer and, and I'm crawling around the floor with my head in a wastebasket, counting how many cheese biscuits I've eaten to decide whether it's a binge or not. So I'm in Paris. Other people are out walking in the beautiful gardens or the streets. I've got my head in a wastebasket counting cheese biscuits. So I get back from ruining that vacation. That vacation was ruined for me. And my dog is seriously ill. My dog begins to die. And at this part, I get serious about the program because my dog's dying. I've binged. I don't know what to do and that was my bottom I call my sponsor my sponsor says well I haven't heard from you for three weeks so I've moved on um, she's since made amends to me for that but you know what I thank her and I'm very grateful to her if she's listening to this because that's what got me abstinent so I call somebody in AA I go I'm desperate dog's dying dog's in the emergency room I don't know what to do he says I know somebody who knows somebody stay right here I'll get back to you 
that's for how and I, I'm in my bathrobe on my desk crying and first of all I don't cry a lot and second of all I don't wear my bathrobe at my desk okay so I'm and she calls me back and she says call this girl and I think oh my god I know who that girl is this is horrible scary girl that goes to the light a candle meeting and but I'm desperate I call her and she says meet me at light a candle where do you sit I think sit well I sit in the back of the room so I can come late and leave early she says okay meet me there she says what's your abstinence and I say well I have two of this and half of this and a quarter of this and one glass of this and she says look 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 it's too complicated and that's what I've learned here just keep it easy just keep it simple keep it simple just simple simple the saying is where you're you know where you're um, absent like a loose garment in other words it's not the jeans that you lie in the bed and you do the five buttons and you know and you put the high heels on and they hurt it's just easy you don't have to think about it so that was uh, January um, 28 uh, 2008 that's my abstinence date my dog died the next day so I died with a dog abstinence so I'm deeply grateful to that particular animal for helping me um, to talk about what I do in the program and then talk about how my life has changed um, I get up every morning uh, this morning it was brief I did it in the car read a little bit of the book, big book did a gratitude list one minute meditation usually I read about three readings maybe do some step work if I have extra time I try to do 15 minutes of meditation a day it took me eight years to get to that so you know if you're at one minute great Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps and 12 Traditions says the only way to do a bad meditation is not to do it whatever works for you if it works walking great if it works listening to music if it works doing yoga if it works listening to an app on your phone which works for me great uh, I call my sponsor most days I start out calling her every day that's what works for me uh, I just talked to her this morning. <laughs> I'm laughing because she's she, she raised her voice this morning. She raised her voice this morning and she was like, "What your sponsees do is not your problem." I'm like, great. <laughs> so um, sponsees help me tremendously. They remind me to do <laughs> what I tell them to do, which I don't do. So uh, that is very helpful. Um, what has happened in this program is I've accepted my weight the way it is I no longer look in the mirror and I think you're fat you're ugly I don't do that anymore I recently have lost more weight in part because I've gotten thank you sober Um, I pray when I eat because when I'm eating and I'm full I didn't know when I got full before I ate in here I pray I didn't know my reaction when you would say I can't eat anymore I'm full I'd say get over it move on I'm full all the time move on I try not to starve myself because if I starve myself then I can have a bigger meal like like I didn't have a snack I'll have I'm making this up right a pizza blah 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 there's foods I don't eat anymore I suspected for a very long time that I was allergic to gluten and cheese but it didn't stop me from eating it until I ended up in the hospital with dysentery from India and severe food allergies with an IV in my arm that's when I decided that might be a good idea to give up gluten flour and cheese so I avoid those things Um, I avoid foods which set up a craving for me it's Fritos and cookies I don't know what it is they do to Fritos they put crack in it but I don't know what it is but they it's I avoid those foods I see God through you guys I no longer feel terminally different because I sit in here and listen to you guys and you guys tell me my story I don't care if you're African-American 
six feet tall, which I'm not, male, grew up in the projects, and anorexic. I listen to you, I hear your story, because usually the story for me involves a struggle with food, a struggle with self-loathing, a struggle with self-hatred. That's what I relate to. And I listen to you guys, and I hear my story, and I try not to judge, not because I'm such a good person, because if I judge you, I'm judging myself. What I'm learning now is to be patient with myself. Uh, I'm People laugh at me, I'm so impatient. And when I drink coffee, so I better not have that, it gets worse. I'm like, what's the point? What's your point? What's your point? My sponsees will say, well, I'm like, what's your point? <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect. One of the other things I've learned to accept is I'm not perfect. I'm about a size 10 right now. That's fine. I don't have to be a 6. I don't have to weigh 125. I'm 63 years old. I don't have to be perfect. I work out now because I want to and it lowers the chatter in my head and I actually need to work out more. Not because of my weight, because it lowers the chatter in my head. I only do exercises that I like. I don't run. I hate running. I don't, don't go to the gym except for when I'm on vacation because I don't like it. I don't like the bright lights. I don't like the noise. I don't like the mirror. This is just me. Many people love going to the gym. Many people. I do yoga. Some people hate it. I swim. Some people hate it. You just figure out what's right for you. You know, that, that's what we do in here. And then we love each other. Even if, you know, there are so many pro- people in this program that drive me completely out of my mind. But I love them for who they are, for what they give to me. And, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, they'll come up to me and I'll say, just hear one good thing. And they'll come up to me and they'll go, just be kind to your mother. And my mother died two years ago. And I remembered that. And I was kind to my mother. And because of this program, I got to forgive my mother and I got to show up for her. Without this program, there's no chance I show up. And I, have, I miss my mother, but I've got no regrets. All that criminal neglect I told you about, all that not fitting in, that not feeling loved, she paid more attention to my dad, I felt, that's over. That's over. I don't blame my mother for being a compulsive overeater. That's a gift of this program. And it ta- here's the thing about this program that's most important to know. If you're new, just keep coming back. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like erosion. It's like the, the granite cliffs in Yosemite. It takes forever for a beautiful valley to be created. That's my experience. It's not tomorrow. My other experience is act as if. If you don't think there's any reason to be here, just, just try it. Don't listen to me. Listen to somebody else. For the most part, you know, sometimes my feelings get hurt. I, I get hurt. I have no f- problem if you think I'm not the right sponsor for you. Then I'm not the right sponsor for you, and you're not the right sponsor for me. You know, I may not be the right speaker for you. Just if you're new or if you're in your relapse, if you just keep doing the same thing, consistency is the antibiotic for our disease. Self-love is the antibiotic for our disease. And the way I get self-love is because you guys love me. You guys say, how are you? How's your dog? I lost a dog this year. How's your mom? How's your dad? How are you doing? How is it being newly sober? How's your, how are you getting along with your husband because I've been struggling recently? Or they call and they say, text, hey, I've been thinking about you. That's how I learned I was worthwhile. I learned in these rooms. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to be here. Thank you. And I didn't think I liked any of you until I realized the voice of the higher power of creative intelligence, the voice of love, speaks through you guys. So thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody. 
Okay, so you heard what I had to say. Time for questions only. No sharing. If you need to share, do it after. The opinions are your own. Anybody have a question? Thank you. Um, the question is, would I speak a little bit more about my higher power? Thank you for that question. Um, I grew up in a in strict religious schools, um, so I had a long way to come with my higher power. Um, I grew up with very strict teachers. Uh, what I absorbed from them, this is only me, again, this is only me, was I was bad, I deserved to be punished, God hated me, and I wasn't perfect, therefore, uh, might as well throw in the towel. So, when I had my final binge in Paris, I got down on my knees and I took the third step. I turned my life over to the care of God. And I think one thing I didn't realize about the third step is it's not just your decision and your will, it's the care of God. Not the worry of God, it's the care of God. I turned my, and in, I felt literally a half second of relief from worry self-blame, self-hatred, a half second. And so I just start trying to notice where God is. For me, it's birds. (laughs) So I have like this bird obsession. I have a zillion bird feeders. There's like poop everywhere. Sorry about that. Um, I see it in the ocean. I see it in you guys. And so for me, God is a feeling of the flow of love. Um, A lot of times I act like God's listening when I have no confidence that he, she, it, or the flow is. So what's that mean? What it means is I'm eating pasta and I'm finished, but I'm still eating. So I'll start praying. Um, My concept of a higher power is the power of good love connection and coincidence in the universe. So there have been so many extraordinary coincidences in my life and this is the power of God so I'll tell you briefly about one story Um, my mother was in hospice and I did not know nor did anybody of course when she would die and I was in San Francisco I was scared to leave the house and scared to come back to LA I didn't want to leave so a friend of mine called and said would you like to go to an Al-Anon meeting with me I said of course so I went into my mom's room and I held her hand and I left and I thought what if she dies while I'm gone I walk back in I kiss her hand I say mom I'm going to a meeting I'll be back in an hour and I went to the Al-Anon meeting and at the precise moment when I was speaking about my mother in the Al-Anon meeting my mother died so I had asked God to remove my mother in her own time in a way that was peaceful for all of us I cannot imagine a more peaceful letting go I was with one of my oldest friends that I've known for my whole life holding my hand and my mother left when I wasn't there with one of the people she was close, a caregiver that had babysat my my um, sister's children that she had known for many many years holding her saying Nana I love you Nana I love you I don't know for me that's God so I just look for coincidences like that and mainly I just try to remember that I'm not it and that I don't have to have all the answers for myself, my sponsees, my husband, or right now it's my dog. 
because she's lonely because her partner died. Well, I think she's lonely. And, uh, and this morning I thought, you know, she has her own higher power. So that's what I try to, that's the answer I can give you. And, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about rabbis and ministers have gone before us and we seek many different traditions. And I right now I'm reading from an Eastern tradition. I've read from Christianity, from Judaism, from Islam. I, I just seek what is speaking to me at any given moment. And it changes. Michael. I was thinking, did you say you were doing sober? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for your share. So the God that you just described, the way I heard it, was very, the Carol God, very gentle, very kind, loving. And you mentioned that we don't change, you don't change until you're up against the wall. Beaten up. I hate that. And then there's a thing in our literature that says we need not always be bludgeoned and beaten. Mm. That we can volunteer to ask for. So, how do you reconcile that? Because I too have to bludge it, but I'm not going to change until I kind of that gentle move God. You know? So, what's the contrast? How do you reconcile that before you change? Well, I okay. So the question is, I'm going to try to repeat it because, and if I can, if I can answer this question, you can just throw out all the philosophy of the ages. So um, I'm going to. The, the question is, when you talk about God, it's a kind, gentle God, and, and we do things sort of with patience and love. On the other, and it says in the book, we don't have to be bludgeoned and beaten. On the other hand, you have to feel extreme pain before you change. How do I reconcile that? I have no idea. <laughs> so I don't know if I can answer the question. But the thing that comes to me is being willing. Okay. So I was not willing for a long time to give up certain behaviors, to give up staying up really late at night. Nothing good in my life happens post 10 p.m. Nothing. Nothing. I can't think of one thing. Unless I stay up late enough to talk to my friends in Italy, but then I'm usually doing things that are not so helpful before that. But nothing good happens after. And I beat myself up, and then I just prayed. I just prayed. I prayed for the, the willingness. I prayed for so long to get abstinent. For, and I wasn't ready till I had a dog die. I prayed for so long to get sober for so long and I wasn't willing till one morning I woke up and I thought I can't stand this self-hatred anymore I can't stand it I prayed for you know I, I knew that I wasn't you know as I said I knew I shouldn't be having flour or cheese and then I ended up you know talk about bludgeoning and violence St. John's with an IV in my arm and the worst part was Anise, the nurse said how much do you weigh 155 I thought fuck you so um but, but I think the answer is that there, I don't have an answer but the answer is and I don't know the answer is sometimes it's a dramatic change and sometimes sometimes it's a spiritual awakening and sometimes it's just erosion and sometimes sometimes the best I can do is just pray to be willing and open and bludgeoning myself like you said Michael has I don't think there's once it's worked for me. I'm trying to think if there's a time. You know, and the thing about surrender is that you're only ready when you're ready, as you know 
better than anyone. I mean, I can't make myself be ready. That's that's a higher power. But I think the gentleness comes in. I can ask. I can ask. I can ask. And I can take certain steps. Like, I was so not willing to give up certain food behaviors. But I can start talking about them with people I respect. And say, just for today, just for the next ten minutes, I'm not going to engage in this food behavior. Tomorrow I may take it back. And I give myself that out, you know. I give myself, tomorrow I may, I don't know, eat a whole pizza. Let me tell you something, gluten-free pizza is disgusting. So not <laughs> you know, tomorrow I may um, decide that uh, buying a box of Seas candy is a fabulous idea, but just on the way home I'm not going to do that. So I think that's how it works too, is by taking action or taking contrary action or just... I don't know. I think basically, bottom line for me, it's asking to be willing. You know, and I'm really impatient. It's a major defect of character, like I said. So I'm really trying harder to be patient with myself. So I'm sure that's not a good answer, but when you get the great one, (laughs) let me know. Uh, you, uh, was sugar on your abstinence and you say that you're starting to have sugar on yeah. your basis again? Yeah. How are you working with that? Okay. That's a really good question. Um, the question is, was sugar on my abstinence? No. There is no foods on my abstinence. Uh, the foods are part of my food plan. Um, so if I eat sugar, it doesn't mean I've broken my abstinence. My abstinence is three meals a day and one optional snack. But I chose not to engage in sugar. Um, since I've been sober, I have one dairy-free bowl of dairy-free ice cream with um, non-fat chocolate sauce and sometimes nuts, sometimes candy kind of sprinkled in. It's only one bowl. Here's how I know, and I would not suggest that a newcomer do this. I would not suggest at all. I don't know how this works, so don't ask me because this is God. If, if I have eaten something that is a problem for me, I cannot stop thinking about it. I, ca- I cannot stop. When I have that one bowl of ice cream, it's over. I put it away, I go to bed. I don't go, mmm. You know, back in the day when I was binging every three days, I would binge. One day I would feel terrible. Next day I'd feel normal. Third day I'd be like, I'm cured, I'll binge. Um, I would think about food constantly. If, if I'm thinking about a food, it's an issue. I... And I'm talking a lot about taking very limited forms of sugar back. There's also a lot of things I used to do that I no longer do, by the grace of God. It doesn't work for me to have chips as a snack. I've given that up. Um, Most of the time, it doesn't work for me to have cheese as a snack. If I'm really short of time, I will do it. Um, So I'm highly suspicious of sugar in my life. Because sugar for me is like a bad boyfriend. If I start sniffing around, it's like, you know, it's like stalking on the internet. It's just is a bad thing. So, but that's that's it's very specific. And again, I can have one piece of candy. If I move to go for another, and I can tell my head always tells me this didn't work. My head always tells me. I start checking my stomach, it, 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 meaning not my stomach like am I feeling well, how big it is. You know, so that's how it works. I wouldn't recommend a newcomer attempt that. 
uh, I've had um, 10 and 3 quarters years of abstinence so I have a really good structure I have you know very strong sponsorship um, and again I'm suspicious I you know if I smell a rat thank you so that's my answer anybody else have a question go ahead how's your abstinence changed since you got sober um, well um, the question is how's my abstinence changed since I've got sober you know when I get sober people t- is apology to AA I don't experience that people in AA understand OA I'm just sorry it's the mothership but so they gave me a lot of really bad advice and I was warned by my sponsor that that would happen you know eat chocolate not a good idea for me uh, you don't, don't have to drink at a wedding you can eat the, a wedding cake not a great idea for me um, so I was given a lot of and you know what I had enough abstinence that I would smile and say thank you thank you thank you so much thank you and it was so cute because my girlfriends you can't see this being recorded my girlfriends in the program would be waving their hands going no no don't listen no no you can't do that it was so cute but I, I just say thank you yeah thank you or they say how about a piece of fruit and I say you know what's worked for me is I eat um, dates one to two dates because I feel like I need a little sugar so I'll have a date two dates three is too many again as soon as I hit three I know it's too many um, my food has cleaned up a lot since I got sober um, that is probably not everybody's story I think it's just more conscious and um, it, it just has I think because I was doing a lot of sexy eating out and now I, I don't go eat out a lot I, I go to a lot of meetings so I'm like okay what can I eat that will get me through the meeting and I can have a snack after the meeting and what can I it, 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 so it, it, it changed and, I, and um, my snacks cleaned up um, you know I think what it really is is as we practice the program in all our affairs I talk about myself I have become more conscious as I become more conscious my food gets more conscious you know I have a friend who used to say muddy food muddy mind and I was like then there's something wrong with your mind because I had such bad judgment but the clearer my mind becomes the clearer my food becomes the more I clean up my life the more I clean up my food there's the same to me they're like parallel so that's that's what my experience is Oh God! I, can I talk about making amends? I was the worst at making amends. I I call it amends light. Uh, I, I was like I was like the worst because I decided I didn't steal and so I had no amends to make. So I would see a girlfriend with her husband and I, I'd be like, Oh, you know, I'm really sorry. We'd be having lunch. I mean, it was just I was just the worst. But um, uh, making amends is really hard. And I thought it wouldn't be because, again, I didn't have, hey, I stole your car, your, I stole from Whole Foods. I didn't have that. But when I had to go to my mom and dad and sister and brother, I was really scared. And I, I don't have a lot of patience for fear. 
because I was so frightened in my childhood and I so repeatedly had to save my own life because my parents were so absent that it wasn't possible for me to feel fear so I was scared I was scared and I would kind of do something like uh, mom I don't think I was really the daughter I should have been I just want to tell you I'm really sorry and I'll try to be a better daughter that was it and it kind of covers the bases I mean I, I should have probably said is there anything that I've done wrong that I can do better you know that's what we're taught to say I didn't I apologized to my dad he said oh I thought it was pretty entertaining you were so rebellious and awful um, and a lot of it for me is with my husband and it's living amends because because he said to me you know you can say you're sorry till the cows come home but if you don't change your behavior I don't care and at the time I thought that was really unkind but he's right he's really right um, so it's I just I find amends difficult um, but it is absolutely necessary and the great thing about the tenth step is if there's something we missed or I missed I can always go back and clean it up so you know the program builds in a fail-safe method I think that's it right okay thank you